Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chitheads. My guest today is Mauro Zapatera. Mauro obtained his MD and PhD degrees from Harvard Medical School. He completed his PhD doing work with neuronal stem cells and the effects of the cerebrospinal fluid in brain development and in the adult. He has published in numerous scientific articles on the CSF, and his work was chosen as the cover image for the prestigious Neuron Journal. He was also featured in the New England Journal of Medicine in teaching medical students about living with life-threatening diseases and in Psychology Today on an article titled Joy, the Art of Loving Life. He completed his physical medicine and rehabilitation residency at the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System, where he also served as chief resident. He is board certified in PM&R with a particular focus on optimizing human performance and decreasing suffering. He is the Director of Regenerative Medicine and Clinical Research at Synovation Medical Group and is a staff physician at the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System. As a PM&R physician, he combines his training in various complementary medicine modalities such as polarity therapy, Reiki, and craniosacral therapy, and attempts to treat each individual holistically, integrating body, mind, and spirit. Much of his practice is focused on pain management. He researches and designs new programs and techniques to help alleviate pain, improve function, and increase quality of life. So, hi, Mauro. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. So, uh, that was a very esteemed bio, and um, I'm looking forward to talking to you today. I first uh, saw you, or um, I didn't get a chance to meet you, but I saw you at the Science and Non-Duality Conference in San Jose, California, and I was really blown away by um, the work that you are doing and have done on the cerebrospinal fluid and the and the associations with a whole bunch of interesting spiritual ideas that we have in, in the various traditions. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about that today. But before we get into all of your work, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the story of how you got into this kind of research and, um, and how the science started to dovetail with the spiritual for you. Absolutely. Um, so I was at Harvard Medical School and um, I was in the MD-PhD pro program and we have to do various rotations in different laboratories to get a sense of what kind of research we're interested in. Um, I knew that I was always interested in um, cancer research and mostly sort of end-of-life care because cancer most of the times we think of it being uh, end-of-life for most people. So trying to heal cancer or treat cancer was sort of one of my goals uh, in entering medical school. I joined um, or I did these rotations in some cancer labs and I really felt myself actually uh, becoming more depressed, to be honest with you, as I was doing some of the research. And during that time period, I actually uh, met my wife, mm -hmm. who um, was very interested in complementary and alternative medicines, um, wanted to actually do, uh, was considering doing, um, studying naturopathy, um, kind of wanted to uh, uh, explore a little bit of what the options were besides just what the Western medical world was teaching us. I was always interested in um, alternative methods of trying to uh, heal myself. Uh, my mother would always give us um, herbs and uh, vitamins to try to overcome respiratory illnesses and things like that. Um, and at that time, I was actually reading uh, Carolyn Mace's book, uh, Anatomy of the Spirit. And it was talking about energy, essentially uh, how we are made up. Um, looking at it from a different perspective than anatomy or what the uh, how energy gave rise to information that then would become physical form. And at that time, I was actually, you know, I'd undergone a, a very structured uh, anatomy course um, at Harvard Medical School and was still kind of thinking about, you know, what's what's before the structure? what comes before the structures. There's something that's actually informing uh, the information that this body is made up. And um, I was always interested in sort of embryology and how we were, we, were, we were developing. And I was in this cancer lab and I really was not, I was more depressed than anything else. My wife said, well, let's take some time off. And um, she was interested in, in, in investigating 
um, some healing modalities for herself. Um, and it's actually pretty funny because, you know, she, she, I think she went online, um, and she Googled, um, uh, I believe it, you know, I can't remember actually what she Googled, but she came up with, uh, polarity therapy, mm-hmm. like her, her topic, you know, the topic that she Googled on, um, on that day came up with polarity therapy and she started investigating it and was just, and sort of thought this was a, a perfect opportunity for us to go and study polarity therapy. So we actually went to the, I took some time off from uh, um, doing my MD, PhD, and everybody at that time probably thought that I was uh, crazy and that I would never come back, um, which is fine. Uh, (laughs) And we went to New Mexico, we went to Santa Fe and actually studied at the New Mexico Academy of Healing Arts. And we studied uh, polarity therapy. And polarity therapy at that time had two sort of diplomas that you could do. One was um, an AAP, uh, with, with, which was sort of like an associate's program. And then the other one was an RPP, which was uh, a registered polarity practitioner. And you had to do something like 150 hours for the APP and, and 700 hours for the RPP. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm in med school. I just kind of want to take a little time off and not do anything. Um, and my wife wanted to do this program. She's like, come on, you know, sort of sort of nudging me along, like, do this with me, you know? And I'm like, I'll do the APP with you. Um, and 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 she's like, okay, great. You know, I'll have you I'll for, for three weeks, we'll do this program together, sort of thing. And um even in doing the first part of the program, I was still like, yeah, you know, you can you can continue in doing the RPP and you know, I'll, I'll do something else. And I even, you know, I even told her, I remember we were, we were talking about, it. I said, you know, maybe I'll like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be an umpire for softball or something like that, you know, while you go and, 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 uh, and do your class. And she's like, no, come on, let's do this together. I feel like we could really, and, you know, um, looking back on it, it's probably been, uh, the thing that's changed our lives together the most. Uh, we were dating at the time, but, you know, had a very serious relationship um, and, you know, when we talk about it, when we joke about it, we say, you know, if people are going through a, through any hard times, well, what do they need to do? Well, they need to go through an energy medicine course together, right? And, <laughs> and sort of, <laughs> it's like, if you, if you don't go through an energy medicine course together, then, uh, you know, uh, that's sort of the therapy because it, it was, it was very intense. Uh, and part of my, let's say maybe lack of desire to want to do it was maybe, um, some sort of subconscious, um, uh, resistance, um, to the, you know, to the, to the potency of, of what there was underneath some of my emotions and stuff like that. And I was going through a lot of, uh, let's say, uh, anxiety. I was feeling a lot of tightness in my solar plexus. Mm. Um, I was having a, uh, you know, a very sort of many more, let's, let's say sympathetically charged moments than parasympathetic, parasympathetically charged moments and going through the course, um, was transformational essentially both together, uh, you know, the way that they kind of describe, uh, uh, polarity therapy is, um, you know, when you need, when you need to make pure metal, you boil and boil and boil the metal and all the crap comes up to the top and you skim that stuff off and you keep on boiling and boiling and boiling until you have pure metal going through an energy medicine course like that is like boiling and boiling and boiling yourself to get to, to essentially get all the, get all the impurities out and, um, get to the pure essence of, of, of you. And can you talk a little um, bit about what polarity therapy looks like for those that aren't familiar with that? It's a combination. So it started by Dr. Randolph Stone, uh, who was an osteopath and he was also a chiropractor Mm -hmm. and he was also a naturopath. Um, he has so many degrees, I say, because, uh, he tried one and didn't find it to, uh, to let's say, fulfill his view of 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 health and so you know he did another thing and hoping that you know chiropractics would 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 really be the answer and that wasn't the answer and then um became an osteopath and that wasn't really the answer and so what he started doing is he actually he traveled he traveled to india he traveled to china um he traveled to egypt and he put all those different healing modalities whether it was ayurvedic medicine or chinese medicine along with his chiropractic and naturopathic and um, and osteopathic uh, knowledge all together into one sort of comprehensive uh, uh, healing modality mm. and so it's a it's it's a combination of um, 
of China, uh, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, um, some subtle movements. And so it's, it's a combination of hands-on healing that uh, incorporates body movements, um, diet and purification, mm. as well as right mind, sort of having the proper intentions, putting your mind in, 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 the, in a, a, a pure form, let's say, so that that's it. And you, you can either undergo you know, purification techniques with, with diet and exercise. Um, there's different, different sort of, let's say, protocols. But as you become more expert in the treatment modality, uh, you, know, you sort of do your own thing in a way. Um, and, uh, and so that was, you know, that was our, our 700 hours of training of understanding all the various techniques of polarity therapy, as well as all the various, um, you know, the Ayurvedic diet, um, some Chinese medicine, uh, how you kind of apply what you feel in palpating the body to a person's diet or a certain movement or an exercise, like a, some sort of home exercise program that you can give them, um, it, stuff like that. Mm. Now, I know that you've also studied craniosacral therapy, and uh, yeah. and as a way of sort of segueing segueing into our discussion around cerebrospinal fluid, I wonder, you know, what because you hear a lot about this, but you don't really hear like what what it is and sort of why it's so necessary. Would you touch on a little bit why the like what the what is powerful about craniosacral therapy? Um, sure. So part of our polarity teachings were some craniosacral therapy. And yeah. what that was, was it was a biodynamic approach. Um, and there's different sort of schools of uh, craniosacral therapy. Um, the one that we, the one that we studied was a biodynamic approach. And so what that is, is essentially, it's a very subtle palpation of the, what's referred to as the breath of life mm. or the body's uh, inherent life force. Right. That there's a certain subtle movements of the tissues, uh, the fluids, the cranium, all the bones, mm. uh, including the cerebrospinal fluid, the central nervous system, all the membranes essentially that surround it, that there's this breath of life that sort of travels through all these tissues. And some describe it as a series of subtle rhythm um, or pulsations mm. that actually affect our physiological system. And some people sort of describe a, a cranial uh, rhythmic impulse or the CRI, which is, you know, if somebody were, were to uh, have the analogy of, um, of an ocean, it would be like the waves that you see on top of the ocean if you're just looking at it from above. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the, to the mid tide, which is which is a, a, a slower rhythm. Um, you know that would be like like let's say you know twenty to a hundred feet down uh, in the ocean. And then you get to what's called the um, the long tide or a deep and slow rhythmic impulse. And this is considered sort of the motion of um, of the breath of life. Um, and this is essentially um, where in ordering this principle, in ordering the breath of life, by simply, simply, I say simply, it's not, you know, it's yeah. not simple, but by simply um, um, palpating this, the, the expression of it, yeah. and seeing how it's rhythmically being expressed in every individual uniquely, simply uh, being aware of its expression, you're almost providing like a mirror to itself in that if there are any, let's say, shifts or movements due to trauma or injury, that simply by bringing awareness to that through, palpa through palpatory skills, you can reignite this self-expression of um, this fluid motion, this breath of life that essentially informs the body's health, informs all the tissues and fluids um, in terms of bringing it back to what is this inherent life force. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, so that's sort of, let's say, craniosacral is, is, is you tap into this, 
this ordering principle, which would be the breath of life through the palpation of people using your hands and seeing how this breath of life is expressed. Is it fully expressing itself? Um, Is it expanding and contracting almost as if uh, an ocean would be in its um, in its in, 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 in its perfect expansion and contraction of the tides, for instance. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then essentially your treatment plan is simply being, becoming aware of any areas that, you know, might not be expanding and contracting and even just suggesting it a regular breath of life, a regular inherent expansion and contraction with your palpation. Mm. Wow, that's a really beautiful description of that. It makes me want to go get a craniosacral therapy uh, session immediately. <laughs> it's very powerful. We sort of, you know, in 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 the in 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 the class, we're sort of, you know, some people say, um, use your hands, pretend like your hands are have a thousand mirrors on them. Mm. That's and 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 every single movement or and every single energy reflect it back onto itself so that it, the energy just recognizes itself mm. you know and you're not making any part of it is you know they sort of the classes that we went to sort of taught you know center ground neutral so even if you f- do feel that there might be some constriction there's no judgment about it there's no right. um no assess it's just it's simply a reflection of that energy back onto itself so that it by by seeing itself it may actually choose to change if it's ready to do so right i simply listening through the through through the hands beautiful so um, yes go oh uh, i just my that that one connection so it was actually um it was jeffrey wilson mm-hmm. who uh was our in during our polarity uh, class who said, you know, the CSF is one molecule away from seawater. Right. I, and I sort of looked at him. I'm like, there's no way that, you know, the CSF is one molecule away from seawater sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And that was, you know, all that kind of put together was the initial spark. Um, you know, so the, 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 the many discussions with my wife going through polarity, you know, having part of this craniosacral be in our polarity class was the initial spark to actually, when I went back, I said, you know, I want to study brain development and I want to study the cerebrospinal fluid essentially. Um, and I found a lab in Harvard that would support me, you know, in, 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 in what I was looking to do. And then we decided while I was getting, while I was getting my PhD, both my wife and I decided to do then another 750 hour training course in just biodynamic craniosacral therapy. Mm. Um, and so that's what now my wife does on a, on a full, full-time basis, essentially working with children, um, who have, um, uh, you know, any sort of any developmental issues whatsoever, um, but working with children to help them, um, in terms of whether, you know, whether it's developmental, um, perceptual, uh, neurological, even through, through birth, uh, cranial compression, things like that to help them resolve any, any issues. Mm. Mm. So you are, most of your work now, you know, is really highlighting this fascinating fluid that we've all, you know, up until now, perhaps taken for granted, which you've already mentioned, the cerebrospinal fluid. So what initially triggered your curiosity um, about this? I mean, you said, you know, you mentioned um, that it's one molecule away from seawater. What's the implication of that? Like what... Um, you know, obviously it's fascinating, but what could that even mean? You know, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, but it was kind of like one of those things that I had to follow. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and the experiences I had with craniosacral therapy, not only on myself, having practitioners work on me, but also palpating these subtle fluctuations, you know, I was like, wow, we can, we can really feel the pulsations, like we can, yeah, you know, like we can really feel them. And um, I had some powerful experiences myself. And you know, after you've had an experience, you can't. You, there's no way to discredit your own experience. It's not yeah. like, oh, that didn't really occur. You, 
you know, that occurred, you know? Um, and, and, and so, um, it, it was just something that had to be followed and embryologically, you know, so I was having these powerful experiences therapeutically, let's say, and then I was also looking at it from a developmental sort of this unique it was sort of this unique thing where you know i was getting cranial sessions and i was also looking at the embryology of how we were developing simultaneously and this person you know jeffrey's words were in my head of you know csf is like the ocean you know it's one molecule away from the ocean and i was looking at these embryological um pictures of human development and what i saw and if you see some of my slides um what I saw was a, 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 an early embryo, a human embryo, and the brain, the part that became the brain was like, you know, let's say half, half a centimeter big, um, thick, in the middle, and it was on the outside, and it kind of looked like a heart. You know, it, it's almost like if you were drawing it, it'd be the, it'd be the outer, you know, the outer edge of the heart. Mm-hmm. In the middle, in the center of the heart, was emptiness in the center of the emptiness was this cauliflower like structure that was almost like an island Mm -hmm. okay so you have this sort of island in the middle and then this very sort of thin heart shaped uh structure on the outside that was going to become the brain and i look in that and i said you know what what's all the space Mm -hmm. and what's in the middle and my colleague said well that's the choroid plexus I said, that's the choroid plexus. The choroid plexus took up, you know, more volume, more space at that time in development than the entire, than almost like the entire brain did. It was huge. It was ginormous. And the space, which to me looked like emptiness at that point, I recognized was actually filled with fluid. That was all cerebrospinal fluid that was bathing the brain that was created by the choroid plexus. And I said, man, when we grow cells in, in lab, they always have to be grown in fluid. It's almost, it, you know, every single laboratory in the world is growing cells in fluid right now. You know, people have to show up on weekends to change the fluid. You know, do they have the right growth factors? Do they have the right pH, salts, sugars? And I said, where's the brain getting its fluid? That's it. The brain is growing in, its, in the cerebrospinal fluid. It is you know, it's, it's almost as if the brain is, 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 is the shore and the fluid is this entire ocean that's bathing it consistently, providing it with growth factors and nutrients and, you know, proper salts so that it can be, um, you know, so that the cells don't burst and things like that. And I said, that's amazing. That's, that's the endogenous growth media that we use in the lab to grow tissues. So I looked in the literature and I said, what's known about this fluid? Because it was really very little actually at that point. Mm. Um, there was maybe, you know, there were one or there, there were a couple of reports looking at the fluid and, um, and nobody had ever done, you know, tried to do a study of what was actually uh, a very comprehensive uh, study with, 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 you know, high tech um, mass spectrometry of what's actually in the fluid. And so, you know, the first question was essentially, what's in this fluid that's bathing our brain? And that as I went on, you know, earlier and earlier and earlier in development, um, I realized that this fluid was actually the amniotic fluid. You know, so when you're a tiny, 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 three-layered organism, you know, not even when you're three cell layers thick, you know, you have you have amniotic fluid on one side and you, you, the yolk sac uh, on the other side, and that amniotic fluid is in your mother. It's in the mother's womb. You are being bathed by that fluid in your mother's womb, um, and 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 you know, just to think of that, like that, the amniotic fluid is sort of like that one of the initial fluids that is actually bathing us. And then that amniotic fluid becomes then the cerebrospinal fluid through a series of differentiations. Mm. And so you're bathed, you're bathed in your mother, you know, going back embryologically, you're, you're in the big mother of, of, of the earth, you're in your mother, you know, your mom, you're in 
your embryo, which has a, a, a sac within a sac, which is filled with chorionic fluid, inside of that, there's a three-layered sheet with amniotic fluid on one side and yolk sac fluid on the other side. And so you're essentially completely bathed in fluid for a huge majority of your embryologic development. The, the, all the cells that give rise to every single cell in your body right now was actually bathed in amniotic fluid um, or some sort of fluid. And, you know, when we realize that, we're like, wow, this, this, this fluid is bathing some of the, all the progenitor cells, all the neural stem cells of our entire central nervous system. Mm. And the, what happens is that the amniotic fluid slowly differentiates into the cerebrospinal fluid as the process of development occurs. And then there's, there becomes a separation between the cerebrospinal fluid being inside the brain and inside uh, the central nervous system. And then the amniotic fluid still bathing the outside of your entire being, you know, you're, you're essentially floating in amniotic fluid uh, throughout the nine months of gestation. Yeah. Hmm. So now how does this, how do we transition now into the anatomy around, I'll call it just the anatomy of I am, which is sort of where we're going eventually when we start to sort of discuss this cerebrospinal fluid in a kind of spiritual way. And in, in a number of your talks, you refer to the, uh, the glands and the ventricles <laughs> <laughs> yep, I don't know the perfect. vocabulary very well. Ventricles and glands in the, the brain. And so it, do you want to just unpack that for us so we can start to move into this like discussion of, of sure. what dovetails with so, the spiritual traditions? Sure. So to me, um, the I am is, you know, the way that I've defined it for myself is sort of that, that inner sense of, of, uh, of beingness, mm -hmm. sort of your inner perception of existence that when, you know, for me, it's my experience. When I tap into that, it's a glow. It's a, it's a global experience. Okay. It's just, it's, it's there. It's present. I, it, there's no, there's no define, there's no, there's no sort of defining it or, 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 um, or negating it for right. any. Um, and so when, so what happened is that essentially, you know, I started sort of focusing on, the cerebrospinal fluid and just focusing on my own cerebrospinal fluid. And what I noticed is that, um, anatomically, uh, when you look at the ventricles of the brain, the third ventricle is right in the middle of your brain, mm -hmm. right? Essentially, if you were to draw a line from your ears, uh, the, the top of your ears in, and if you sort of go from your third eye or brow center, directly in that's your third ventricle and it's a total it's a perfectly midline structure mm -hmm. right um it in front of it okay so in front if you're like sort of going towards your eyes is your pituitary gland mm -hmm. going back is your pineal gland so both these glands are actually making contact with the third ventricle on the sides, you have your thalamus and hypothalamus. All these are just anatomically very important brain centers, mm -hmm. okay? Going down from there, or let's say going up from there, then you have your lateral, you, you have your lateral ventricles, and the lateral ventricles occupy the, the, the sort of in the two hemispheres of your brain. Mm -hmm. um, these may contact the ventricles make contact with every single lobe of your brain. So they make contact with your frontal lobe, the occipital lobe, the parietal lobe, um, the temporal lobe. Okay. The occipital lobe even sends out a little projection. If you were to see a look at, look a picture of this, it actually even sends out a projection so that it actually goes all the way back to, uh, our visual centers. Mm. Um, looking at that, you, you know, you sort of look at that and say, if there's fluid in the brain that just sort of provides, let's say, nutrients to the brain or, you know, a buffer, um, you know, why would it anatomically, why would it have this sort of very unique structure? Some people have sort of described it as a butterfly or or or, or a bird flying as as the beak is the third ventricle. You know, the body is the third ventricle and then the two wings on the outside of of of, of the lateral ventricles. Um it also goes through, uh, it goes all the way down the center of your spinal cord, 
All right, so inside your, so you have a spinal cord. Inside the spinal cord, there's a hollow canal. That hollow canal is filled with cerebrospinal fluid going all the way down. Outside of your spinal cord and surrounding your entire brain is all cerebrospinal fluid. So essentially, not only on the inside of your brain, but also on the outside of your brain, down your spinal cord, mm -hmm. all the way to the sacrum, yeah. all the way, all the way down to the sacrum, which would be about S1 or S2 um, anatomically. And then there's, you know, there's the sacral, there's, there's a sacral sac. Mm -hmm. Um, when people have looked at, for instance, uh, what does this, you know, what does this, the cerebrospinal fluid do? Um, just in general, um, it provides a lot of survival factors, growth factors to both the embryonic and the adult brain. It provides important information for neural stem cells to, um, survive, for instance, it provides um, nutrients. It provides buoyancy um, for the brain. Um, and now, actually, interestingly, this cerebrospinal fluid may have uh, a role in the lymphatic system in terms of helping to clear the brain of its toxins while we are sleeping, um, that the cerebrospinal fluid may all, may almost provide like a flush of the brain of its toxins while we are sleeping and transition all that stuff to the lymph nodes. They call it the glymphatic system. Um, and that's one of the first sort of discoveries of why sleep is important for us. Mm. Um, that the, that the cerebrospinal fluid sort of comes in and, and cleans out, uh, the brain. Um, and so it has a lot of important physiological, you know, physiological uh, functions. Um, but then there's a question of, well, is that all, all it does? You know, um, going back to my studies of polarity therapy and craniosacral therapy, um, Dr. Stone stated the soul swims in the CSF. Mm, I love that image. Um, he stated, you know, the cerebrospinal fluid seems to act as a storage field and a conveyor for the ultrasonic and light energies. And you just have to think of that, you know, like, was he just saying that? Like, people don't just say things like that. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Sutherland, who is one of the founders of cranial osteopathy from an osteopathic perspective, he said that um, his teacher, Dr. Still, uh, envisioned the cerebrospinal fluid as an intermediary in the movement of divine intelligence. Wow. <laughs> Okay, right. Um, that's pretty interesting. Um, a channeling of creation into embryological segments and irrigating them with life, giving form and function and order and intelligence to our existence. Wow. So when we looked at, so when I looked at that, I was like, "Wow, this is my experience from a uh, from a palpatory." When I'm doing, you know, I definitely feel like, okay, there's an ordering principle here at play. Is it the cerebrospinal fluid or is it something else? Okay. Uh, from the craniosacral teachings, from my own meditations, essentially, what I started doing is essentially started going into my third ventricle, into the fluid filled space of the third ventricle. And from that, what I started, what, what I recognize is the walls of the brain have receptors on them. Those receptors can transmit light, they can transmit movement or vibrations, they can transmit growth factors or hormones. And because it's fluid, if something happens to the fluid instantaneously, that information can get to every single major control center of the brain in a flash. It's like, a, it's like an instant messenger, okay? It doesn't have to go through the cell walls, it doesn't have to be transmitted via synapses. Um, there's, it's sort of like, you know, like, hey, I want to tell my whole body something simultaneously. Uh, what is it? What's the first mechanism for it to do? Give some information to the cerebrospinal fluid, allow that to be dispersed instantaneously throughout my entire central nervous system, have my entire central nervous system pick that up. And 
that's your could be a holistic experience with total synchronization of all your nervous system, your entire nervous system at once based on the pure fluid properties of, of the fluid itself and where it's located. So are we talking about something kind of like the classic mystical experience here or, um, you know, anything, anything, yep. Whether it's a drug or your classic mystical experience, right? You know, people are trying to get drugs to the brain, to different areas of the brain to, to, um, to, you know, for, for brain injury or for stroke. And they're trying to get it, uh, they're trying to get into the cerebrospinal fluid. So it disperses to the brains. Yeah. Um, or a mystical experience. And, and the majority of people have essentially contacted me in terms of, you know, when I describe the anatomy of this fluid filled space going all the way down to their sacrum and how uh, Yogananda and, 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 and Vivekananda have described sort of anatomically very similar um, things that, you know, they say, well, this is how the energy flows. And what I'm showing is this is actually where the cerebrospinal fluid is. And for people to feel like there's actually a fluid movement, um, some sort of fluid moving in their spinal cord all the way up, bathing the back of their head, going into the center of their head, and then sort of expanding outward, um, a simultaneous, uh, you know, aha moment where everything they felt, they sort of felt it simultaneously. And it almost felt like a drop of, of whatever it was, um, you know, uh, cosmic consciousness was dropped into the cerebrospinal fluid, some sort of energetic ultrasonic, um, light of some sort, you know, was, yeah. was dropped into the cerebrospinal fluid and it was dispersed instantaneously. Boom. And the experience was total holistic, total synchronization of the entire um, of the entire body, essentially, through the experience of what the what the message was being transmitted via the cerebrospinal fluid, essentially. Mm. Um, so when we when we um, when you're describing sort of the the cerebrospinal fluid extending all the way down to the sacrum, it, it of course. Uh, for anybody that's familiar with, you know, the Kundalini kind of map of the subtle body, it sort of, it, it makes us think, okay, well, is this cerebrospinal fluid, which is bathing the spine? Is this what's sort of facilitating or is this the the vehicle for that classical idea of, you know, the awakened Kundalini rising up the Shishumna towards, um, you know, the Sahasrara or whatever, the third eye? And so is that essentially this because I, I know you've talked about this a little bit. And and so I, I guess I want to hear you talk a little bit also about the 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 in the gland in, in one of the talks I listened to, you mentioned the, the pituitary gland and the pineal gland and then the third ventricle. There's a, a sense in, in in this kind of classic Kundalini awakening experience. There's a, a, a fusion or a connection. I mean, how yes. what's the what's the what is the what's happening there? Like what is physiologically taking place? You know, I'm and this, I suppose is speculation to some extent, but what could be taking place in that moment where, you know, the, it pierces Brahma's door or pierces the third eye that, that experience of the Kundalini rising. Yeah. So I, I mean, so everything you, you said essentially is, is, um, is right on. Um, the, so uh, a couple things. One is, um, and then don't don't let me forget the the Kachari Mudra before we before we before okay. we leave okay. leave, um, because that was another thing that that um, was was sort of too fascinating for me. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So uh, um, could the cerebrospinal fluid be the vehicle for the Kundalini rising essentially, because the Shishumna is a fluid filled channel. Um, or it's a channel, it's in the middle, it's in the center of the spinal cord, it's filled with fluid, and it goes all the way to the third ventricle. Some people, uh, the cerebrospinal fluid um, goes all the way down as well to the sacrum. Um, so if there's some sort of movement within the cerebrospinal fluid, that could easily provide 
the cerebrospinal fluid could easily be the vehicle for this movement of the kundalini up, uh, you know, through the sacrum, up the spinal cord, into the third ventricle, perfectly um, situated there. Now, there's a very interesting um, there's a very interesting quote from Swami Vivekananda, sort of talking about the Shashumna, uh, Pingala, and Ida, which are the two major other nerve currents um, in the spinal column, and. Um, when he mentions those, those are, you know, when you, when you look up sort of the three nadi, uh, nadi means, in, in Tamil, means nerve or blood vessel or pulse. Um, in Sanskrit, it can mean channel or stream um, or flow. Typically, um, Ida lies to the left um, and is seen as, let's say, the feminine. Uh, Pingala lies to the right. Some have them uh, intertwining the Shashumna, each chakra. Some have them just staying on the right and left side. And then there's a meeting. There's a meeting of these uh, in the third eye, the Ajna. Um, the Shashumna runs along the center, Ida on the left. Pingala on the right, sometimes intercrossing at all the the chakras, and then meeting at the third eye. Now, what is the third eye? Could the third eye, the Ajna chakra, could it actually be the meeting of the Ida, which is the feminine, the pineal gland, and the pituitary gland, pingala, the, the 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 sort of the masculine, the meeting of the two energies with the shashumna coming up the middle, as the central central canal into the third ventricle. Mm. Okay, so if you have the two polarities of the yin and the yang, the yin the re the reason why I say yin pineal gland is because the pineal gland its function. We see it as um, being activated uh, mostly, let's say, at night. Mm. So you you know you kind of think of like the feminine, you know, sleep, the feminine um, coming out at night, where the pituitary gland is more that more helps regulate you know the pituitary hypothalamic adrenal axis, which is sort of like you know the get up and go sort of thing. Yeah, and. And so that's why, you know, that's why some people have, have, have actually said, you know, sort of the feminine and the masculine. But in the middle of that, there needs to be a balance. Yeah. So if you have too much masculine and not enough feminine, you don't have a very good balance. When you have that perfect balance of the yin and the yang, then you, 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 have, you, you have unity. You have the unity of the yin and the yang. In the middle is the cerebrospinal fluid. Mm -hmm. In the middle... What allows there, let's say, the medium, you know, the medium which there can be this transmission of 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 of, of between the pineal and the and the and the pituitary is the third ventricle, is that shashumna coming up where they all meet in the third ventricle, and we know that there are molecules that are released from both these glands that go into the cerebrospinal fluid. If you have too much of the pineal gland, let's say being released, you might actually have too much melatonin. It might actually be hard for you to wake up. <laughs> you want the balance, right? Day. You kind of want, yes, <laughs> you, you want the balance. You want that, that, you know, you want the pineal to kind of go out, you know, to, 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 to stop secreting the melatonin yeah. at around five o'clock so that the adrenal glands and the pituitary glands can start to, can start to arise and sort of, you know, and, and take over. Five o'clock, um, Mauro. We're talking more like nine, ten. Hey, you know. <laughs> and so, um, so essentially, you know, there, there, there are some traditions who consider, you know, this, this, this space between those glands. Um, I've heard them referred to as the Crystal Palace, mm -hmm. um, the Cave of Brahma. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 in those things. You know, anytime somebody refers to them as, as, as that, 
you know, in my own in my own personal experience, that's sort of exactly where it is. It's this let's say it's this crystalline lake where you know, intentionally, you could actually activate the pituitary gland. You can activate the pineal gland. Um, you can cause a little bit of imbalance if you wanted to. <laughs> um, um, it's really about bringing, bringing the, you know, the polarities, the balancing of the polarities, the yin and the yang to be perfectly balanced so that one is working with the other in perfect harmony and unison and creating a, you know, sort of a balanced energy system. Yeah. Um, when that occurs, then my, it is, it's sort of, it's sort of my belief that when you have that perfect, that balance, that perfect polarity balance between the, between, between those that with the, uh, with the Shashumna and the yin and the yang balancing them all out, that that's actually when some people may have that experience of their total existence, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and they totally experience their own beingness um, perfectly. Mm. In so that's sort of the non-dual state that a lot of traditions are, are referencing. Yes. So now what is the role you had mentioned the Kechari Mudra? So what is the role of that um old yogic practice in on all of this? Well, um the interesting part is that um when you look at the anatomy mm -hmm. of the mudra, um what it is is essentially it's the tongue that's rolled up uh and touches the uh, first, it touches the hard palate, and then with practice, you get up to touching the soft, soft palate, and it's it's inserted in, in essence into the nasal cavity um, behind the palate, um, and it may take months or years to practice. But once you're actually inside the nasal cavity, what the tongue does is it stimulates the top of the nasal cavity. The top of that nasal cavity, interestingly. Um, is where the olfactory bulbs are located. That's where you know your sense of smell and 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 and, and arrive. Those are the neurons that come from the brain that give you the sense of smell. Mm. That's one area where um, we actually have access to the cerebrospinal fluid. In fact, people have tried to, and they are doing so using intranasal, you know, sprays, intranasal inhalers to try to deliver growth hormones to the cerebrospinal fluid via the intranasal passages directly through the olfactory bulb, through the cerebrospinal fluid um, that could, that's, it's sort of like that's one area where the blood-brain barrier is, 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 is not as fixed. Mm. And so if you're stimulating that area, the goal of that, um, it will, well, one of sort of the repercussions is that is that a liquid emanates from the roof of that cavity, and that liquid is the the amrit or the nectar. Um, amrit stands for immortal, or you know, sort of if you if you if you taste that uh, nectar, you are bestowed immortality. Um, people who have practiced it. Uh, have said that once they get the experience of the nectar through the practice, that there's an expansion of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the question is, is the nectar, is that Amrit that everybody has been discussing, is that actually cerebrospinal fluid? Mm -hmm. That that's the nectar. Um, it would be a perfect, you know, there's a sweetness uh, to the cerebrospinal fluid because it has, um, you know, sugars in it. Um, it's uh, accessible to that area of the, uh, let's say, brain or 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 head. And um, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. Is you know, is that the actual the Amrit that 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 mudra is is attempting to uh, get a taste of? Of course, it's the whole mudra. It's not just, you know, you can't just take cerebrospinal fluid and drink it, let's say. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, so, 
that, you know, that would be, that's just, you know, that's another, that's another sort of open-ended, open-ended question um, of, is that the actual, you know, is that cerebrospinal fluid that, that they were talking about with the Amrit? And to me, it makes perfect sense from an anatomical perspective. Yeah, it does make sense. And it's really fascinating. And, um, and so I guess my last question, which, and, and I think, you know, it's so easy for, for people to kind of write off, you know, people that haven't had the experience to write off sort of the, 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 the way that this anatomy and this experience is sort of articulated because people think it doesn't have a sort of physiological counterpart. And I think that what you are offering really is exactly that. It's really an explanation that makes total sense given the nature of the cerebrospinal fluid and where it exists and its fluid nature and, and all of this. So it's really fascinating. Is there, besides, you know, this speculation around, um, uh, the cerebrospinal fluid as as the amrita as the as the nectar of mort- immortality is there anything else speculative that we can sort of say based on you know all of the science that you've been working on um i mean speculative you know there's as more research comes out there's more research that um it you know it's becoming to be a more uh, a more important fluid than what we previously thought. So as more and more research is actually being done, um, you know, the difficult part on this is that, is that, you know, it's research done, you know, it's hard to do things. It's hard to do things. It's hard to do research. Um, and, you know, sometimes, uh, unfortunately there are, um, you know, animals involved and, 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 yeah. and things like that. And so, yeah. you know, we tread that lightly in terms of, um, you know, respecting, uh, any, any animal that needs to be um, used for research, um, but it, you know, the research, you know, medical research has significantly helped a, a, a huge number of people, and you know, so we, so the as the research continues as we as as the research is continuing, um, more and more information is coming out in terms of the 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 the, the powers of the cerebrospinal fluid, including what it's doing while you're sleeping. Mm. Um, the next, my next, let's say, uh, uh, speculation is, um, that that's not only while it's sleeping, but actually in also deep states of meditation, for instance, right. that we can actually alter our brain physiology and our brain chemistry. And even the junctions that we thought were so tight that prevented fluid from going from one space to another, um, that in deep states of meditation, for instance, just like in sleep, those junctions separate. They they open up a little bit more, and that fluid can actually flow more into the brain parenchyma, into the brain tissue itself. Beautiful. And you know what they're seeing is as you sleep, it cleans things. It actually cleans toxins out. In deep states of meditation, or in deep states of craniosacral practice, or um, you know, in deep states of yogic practice, I do feel as if the brain is actually undergoing um, an anatomical change in the way that the molecules are connected to 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 allow more space for this fluid to actually bathe the parenchyma, bathe the actual, you know, bathe the entire brain, go through the entire brain. Um, and 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 so I think that's where it's going. Um, what you know, what I'm trying to develop now is 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 I've sort of left the lab, so I don't do any more. Um, I, I myself don't do any more animal research. The postdoc that I worked with, uh, Maria Letton, and she continues to do uh, research, um, but I don't do. I'm mostly working right now with with humans and essentially in creating, um, you know, not only uh, meditations but different ways of of of, of trying to. Um, you know, activate, let's say the pineal gland, are there ways of, of, of intentionalizing, you know, or, or doing meditations where, where you're activating your pineal gland. And, and, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about is, is, is DMT, but it's speculated that actually DMT may be, may be produced in the pineal gland as well. Um, and, and, and that's been, yeah, that's been coined the spirit molecule by, uh, Rick Strassman, um, and it's used commonly in, in shamanic rituals. And, yeah. and, you know, if, if there's some people who can, who, who, you know, have more access to, let's say DMT, 
um, people who have used it have have had you know profound uh, mystical experiences, um, and and you know are there some people who have more or less uh, access to that controlled um, because you know there's also some studies that have looked at DMT uh, endogenous and, and and you stated that um, sort of schizophrenics have more of it um, than than others and I say well what are we, you know, are we looking at that quote unquote disease appropriately? Then? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. um, what is it that, you know, have we talked to them in the language that they're using to communicate exactly. um, yeah. in terms of, you know, what is it that if they do have, then what is that, you know, and, and that might, and it, let's say that's the cause of some of their hallucinations. What are they understanding from that? You know, instead of, um, instead of just, you know, uh, institutionalizing people like that and, and sort of, and, 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 you know, sort of shunning them out, yeah. actually learning from that and seeing, you know, is there a way that, that, that we can actually learn more about what this, what this molecule is doing and in people maybe who do have more of it, um, what is it causing? Because again, you know, it's a polarity, it's a balance, right? You can't have too much of even too much of melatonin, even too much of, you know, let's say even chocolate, you know, is, is no, not... <laughs> no, Mauro. <laughs> I said it. No, but, um, so, you know, so I'm, so I'm sort of transitioning to the, to, to, to the human and trying to, um, you know, see, are there any ways of, um, of, you know, tapping into this and, uh, trying to, for instance, decrease people's pain. I have a lot of people who contacted me who said, you know, I had a CSF leak and a CSF leak is essentially when you've had a procedure done and it can happen from uh, an epidural from giving birth. It can happen from, you know, if you're in pain and you've had an epidural, um, it can even happen from I had, a, I had a person contact me who who it happened from a chiropractic manipulation. Yeah. Um, and it's a tear in 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 the in the lining that contains the that, that holds the CSF close to the spine and, and, and it's a tear. And so now that there's a leak. And it needs to be fixed somehow. And they said, you know, as soon as I had the leak, um, I forgot who I was. Mm. Mm. My The sense of, you know, like when you talk about the I am, the sense of I am just completely disappeared. Yeah. And I tried to do this. I tried to do that. I couldn't do it. It was almost as if there was an open tap that was that was slowly removing that sense of me being from me. And it was many years of, you know, I tried every therapy, blah, blah, blah. And ultimately some people have healed, um, but their stories are remarkable. And so I'm putting these stories together um, as another way of, you know, I go on to the, the CSF leak foundation and nobody's talking about those types of experiences. Mm. Um, you know, it's all about kind of my headaches or, um, you know, things like that. And so um, are there other experiences that people are having that as they, as they hear, you know, maybe, more of the functions of what the CSF is doing that they, uh, or potential that they're connecting it with their own personal experience. Mm. Um, and like I said, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to invalidate somebody's personal experience. It's really, you know, once it becomes yours, uh, it's very difficult to say, you know, that, that didn't, that didn't really happen. You know, you're like, well, <laughs> um, so, so, you know, that's kind of the work that, that I'm, that I'm doing now. And, um, and, uh, and so that's where, you know, that's where we are. That's excellent. I mean, it's really fascinating work and I look forward to, you know, hearing more about what you're doing and seeing the, the research that you put out based on, based on all of this work with, um, humans that you're doing now. So, um, do you want to share a little bit about, you know, where, where you're at for anybody that wants to connect with you or, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always open. I love hearing people's uh, direct experience of anything, um, you know, especially if you go onto YouTube and you listen to any of my talks or anything like that. And you, uh, I'll be creating more um, CSF meditations and stuff for people. And I'll put those on YouTube as well. Um, I'm in Pasadena, California. My email address uh, is my first and last name at gmail.com. So people can email me with their direct experience of anything involving the cerebrospinal fluid um, I get emails almost daily of people who have had, um, you know, people who either the, the videos have validated something um, in them or, like you said, um, it helped ground some esoteric information that they had. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of what I feel like 
part of my bridging of, um, you know, polarity craniosacral, uh, Western medicine is it's, 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 it's allowing to, uh, it's trying to ground the esoteric information and the esoteric experiences that people are having that many people are just frou-frouing as, um, you know, new age, just, you know, BS in a way. And, and it's really too bad because, um, as we, as we learn more and more about the human body, you know, it's like, well, the human body is an amazing, you know, it's an amazing miracle. Um, but for anybody to frou-frou anybody's experience is just, you know, to me, it's just, it's just disrespectful. And, and, and it's just, it's almost like, well, maybe we don't know that yet. You know, somebody would have said, oh, you have a bone inside your, your muscle. Well, let's take an x-ray of it. Yeah. You know, there's no way to take an x-ray of a, of a bone. Well, you know, now we, now we have an MRI and now there, you know, now there's even something that's looking at, um, uh, I, I want to call it electromyo, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say it right, but I think it's EM instead of MRI, it's ERI or something like that, where they're actually looking at brain connections by taking a scan of the energy of the brain, um, you know, two or three feet away from the brain mm-hmm. in terms of understanding neural connections. So, um, you know, I'm trying, so my goal is sort of to, 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 to bring a little bit of groundedness to some of the, uh, some of the, some of the, some of the, uh, let's say experiences or explanations. And that's, and I've, I've been surprised because a lot of people have said, you know, wow, it actually validates what, you know, my experience. And it's like, wow, you know, that's really interesting that sort of a, a sort of an anatomic physiologic talk, uh, would, would validate somebody's esoteric experience, but it really doesn't. It actually helps them quite a lot. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, so I'm always interested in sort of people's direct experience. Uh, if you do any of the meditations, um, you know, on the cerebrospinal fluid, if you have any experience of, wow, you know, like that was really different than any other meditation I've, I've done, um, you know, that I'd love to hear hear people's uh, experience, essentially. Excellent. Yeah. No, I think that parallelism between the esoteric and the physiological is important. And the more aligned they can be, the more sense it makes for people. So, you know, thank you for doing this work. And it's been a real pleasure chatting with you, Mauro. Um, so, I, uh, so I thank you once again. Thank you very much. It was great.